Hello and welcome to episode five of the Somewhat Sustainable podcast. After a small break, we're back and today we're joined by Ian Martin from the Ski Podcast and Ski Flight Free. Hi Ian, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Thanks very much, Paul. Good, good. Thank you. It, it, it's a pleasure to have you on board today. Um, so I'm just going to jump sort of straight into things and, and kind of uh, get get going. Before we get sort of deep into things, can you sort of tell us a little bit more about yourself and who you are? Uh, sure. I mean, I I work in the ski industry, mm-hmm. um, skiing, snow sports, snowboarding, uh, etc. Mainly, uh, my work is digital marketing. Uh, but like yourself, I run a podcast, uh, the Ski Podcast, which gives me the chance, uh, like you, to talk to lots of people. You know, with uh, we shared interests, and I find that really interesting. Uh, you know, I've been working in skiing a long time. Uh, back in the day, I used to work out in the Alps, and then I worked for some of the tour operators like uh, Crystal Ski. Uh, I set up a business called Natives, which was about recruitment, a community for season workers. And uh, the last, uh, I don't know, 10 years or so, I've been working as a as a freelance digital marketing consultant. So skiing has always been my thing. But, you know, you can probably guess within that, there's a huge love of the mountains, which is so important uh, to me, and a love of, uh, of nature, being outside. Uh, etc so uh, probably uh, the combination of the two is while we're talking today <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and I know that you've got the business which is ski flight free so obviously that's got a huge sustainability element to it um but obviously you kind of touched there a little bit on your background um but have you always sort of had a focus on s- sustainability you know coming from a background of skiing and being in the ski and snowboarding industry yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I've I've had a a background in sustainability. I mean, I don't think there was a certain time where sustainability wasn't even really a word that people uh, kind of uh, understood. Maybe it was more about uh, everything was prefaced uh, with eco something or mm. other. Um, but for for me, certainly, I remember seeing a Greenpeace flyer, which I actually have pinned up on the wall, uh, still here in front of me. Uh, and that would have been in 1997. And uh, it, it just says, think of the Earth as a, uh, think of planet Earth as a 46-year-old. And it explains uh, that, you know, if this, the Earth was 46 years old, to appreciate it, it's really in the last 60 seconds that we've, destroyed it completely but turned it into a uh into a rubbish tip and that was a real kind of a uh um key point for me uh, in terms of uh awareness and then he mentioned ski flight free which is not a business i would say it's a lobbying group you know there's no financial side of things or well, the whole point of that as it kind of says on the tin is really i'm trying to encourage people to tr- when they go on a ski holiday to travel by alternative uh, means than flying uh, to, because it's the simplest way of reducing their emissions. So, I mean, the, the poster is one that I love and it's, it's a quote that I think I've heard a couple of times, but I didn't, I didn't actually know that it came from a Greenpeace poster. Um, so that's, that's kind of no, nice to know where the origin is from. But I guess one of the other questions is, why, why is it so important to you? Obviously, I've got my own reasons for it, but why, why is sustainability something that's sort of become more and more important to you? Well, I mean, I guess there's different people in the world. I've certainly met people who are climate change deniers and, uh, you know, other people who seem less concerned uh, about it. 
<laughs> it's, a, it's our planet that we uh, live on and we're, uh, you know, gradually making it uh, uninhabitable. And, you know, for humanity's uh, sake, it's important to change things. I could look at it on a more, you know, on a more, you know, personal and uh, business level. That, you know, there's a huge impact on, on ski resorts and skiing from um, having less snow, shorter seasons, warmer temperatures, uh, all of these things, you know, impact on on businesses within skiing and, and livelihoods, whether those are people who are living out in the Alps or whether those are people who, are, who you know, run businesses uh, in the UK, or whether it's simply people who enjoy the process, the pleasure of putting on skis or a snowboard and sliding down over snow, which is, you know, a tremendously satisfying thing to do uh you know the rate we're progressing there certainly be fewer areas where it's actually possible to do that i think i um i heard or read a statistic not too long ago where the the snow level was rising at such a rate that it eventually could potentially get to a point where you're literally just skiing at the top of you know of a mountain whereas at the moment you're actually able to sort of have the you know much more sensible altitudes it's it's the rising level is is accelerating. So I can't remember exactly what the statistics were, but it was it was eye opening, and that's for sure. And you sort of mentioned about the the climate change deniers as well. It's it's a with all of the sort of weather events that have happened this year, it's kind of a hard one to to deny, in my opinion. But something else that you sort of touched on there was the the communities that live sort of in the Alps. So what kind of effects does it actually have on those communities if if we start to see shorter seasons or you know rising snow levels yeah sure well i mean you know ski resorts depend on tourism you know by definition there's always a you know a certain local number of uh, people who who go and some ski resorts depend more on international tourism or uh, you know tourism within their own country but there are restaurants people who literally work on the uh, on the lifts themselves that operate people who work in the lift pass offices ski instructors people who work in the infrastructure around it people driving the uh, the peace bashes snow groomers to look after the uh, uh, slopes the number of people who are employed in the ski resorts is huge and in a lot of cases there isn't any other industry in that area sometimes there's a little bit of kind of uh, perhaps uh, mining and there's hydroelectric uh, um, projects, etc. But typically, the higher you go in the mountains, the less other opportunities there are. And although you can obviously work remotely in a lot of jobs uh, these days, you can't work remotely if you're a you know bus driver around town or something like this. And if, if fewer people are, are, are going, a few people are, are able to ski in the season is shorter, then it you know will affect these people. And historically, you know, a number of countries have actually offered a specific type of a, a unemployment benefit where people can work in the winter and then they get unemployment uh, benefit over the uh, summer. But if there's no work in the winter, then you know, they're not going to have anything <laughs> at all. No, no. And I think it would kind of devastate those communities to to not see those people as well. And, and I think there's, there's a really nice sort of feeling of a, a bustling ski resort you know I, I don't really ski myself but I've seen all of the pictures and all of the videos that you see and it, it feels like a real sort of community spirit which I think would be a real shame to lose although maybe not soon but if it does happen in the future it would be a huge shame 
So what would you say was the sort of the, the driving force behind Ski Flight Free? Why, why did you set it up and, and how, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, um, like a lot of people, I found, uh, you know, Greta Thunberg to be, you know, hugely uh, influential. And actually, specifically, you know, my I have a teenage daughter who um was motivated through the fridays uh, for future i think uh, the uh, campaign was called that uh, greta thunberg kind of you know started where students were going on demonstrations on a friday my daughter started joining these uh, uh, demonstrations and yeah i uh, i was supportive of this but equally i think uh, you know it's important to get an education as well and she wants to start to go we kind of saying well let's have a look at this you know what can you do you know, within your own life, as well as registering your uh, protest to, you know, reduce your your, your own carbon footprint. Uh, and then from that discussion, I started to think, well, you know, I actually have quite a position, you know, a reasonable position as, a, as an influencer within the industry. You know, I write lots of articles for different magazines and uh, blog for different businesses, you know, running the podcast, got a reasonable social media following. And um, maybe there's something you know, that I, I could be uh, doing here. And that's when the uh, idea of Ski Flight Free, setting that up as a lobby group uh, started. Uh, and, you know, I've always enjoyed travelling by train. I've travelled by train, uh, you know, to the Alps rather than flying for many years. Uh, don't get me wrong, I've flown plenty of times in my life. You know, my overall lifetime carbon footprint, you know, is very high, but my overall, my lifetime no, excuse me, my carbon footprint since 2019 when I started the business and made a much more uh, a significant decision to, to cut down the amount of flying that I was doing um, has been has been much, much lower. And, you know, I have a lot of experience of, of travelling by train. You know, it's a, it's a brilliant way of getting out to the Alps. And so that summer, summer of 2019, I um, put together a website, you know, researched uh, some data, uh, you know, gathered uh, the alternatives, you know, just to try and help people understand what the comparative um, advantage is or disadvantage if you're looking in terms of your carbon footprint is of flying relative to taking the train or even driving if you drive in a fully laden car then that's still much better than um than flying so and then i launched it that autumn in 2019 and uh, you know as i mentioned to you in the green room earlier you know there's a lot of events in relation to skiing and snowboarding that happened during the autumn so it gave me a platform at some of the different ski shows uh, to be able to get that message across yeah no i think i think it's it's a, it's a tough one isn't it because you know we've i think we've all in our past taken flights where we could have maybe you know switched out for a train obviously there's um the eurostar so we could potentially look at taking the eurostar and then actually using the railway systems that are over in uh france or down to austria or maybe even switzerland you know this is probably my lack of experience of the ski world showing through here but i'm sure there are resorts in all three of those countries but you sort of mentioned about greta and obviously having a teenage daughter do you think that that was maybe one of your sort of driving forces to i i guess become more sustainable in yourself would you say you had the sort of greta effect i'm gonna say well i'd say you know we'd already made lots and lots of changes for 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 years 
uh, in our household to try and reduce our, our carbon footprint. And I re- remember you know, flying to Australia as long ago as 2003 and offsetting, you know, our, our flights, you know, back then. And in fact, you know, we had an electric car as early as uh, 2010 uh, in our household. Um, which w- wasn't a particularly effective uh, model, uh, mm. you know, back in those days, had really had a, a viable range of about 30 miles and it was a fully EV vehicle. So we've been doing lots of things uh, over time, but it really was, um, you know, the Greta Fridays for Future, my daughter, you know, going on strike that that made the difference of trying to do something about it further than our household and trying to influence other households and other people as well. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. And as much as I would love to join you in the EV revolution, it's for, for you know, financially, I think it's something which is quite far out of reach for a, a lot of people at the moment, although it's becoming more and more accessible, which is, I think is brilliant. And just recently, I sort of actually looked into how much electricity it takes to mine for oil to turn into like petrol or diesel because obviously there's this huge debate that happens between people who love petrol cars versus an ev and say oh well actually look at how much electricity you use but when you compare it comparatively you can power millions of electric vehicles off the same amount of energy that it costs to actually just mine for the oil let alone then burning it as well so I guess one of the, the big questions is, do you think that sort of the general consumer has it on their mind that, you know, their holiday is potentially sort of, well, is, is so polluting to our planet? No, I mean, <laughs> quite similar to say that. Most people probably don't consider that. But, you know, since, uh, you know, what you might call the Greta effect, the concept of, and I don't know how you, you get the pronunciation right in Swedish, but flugskam or flight shame, you know, has become, um, you know, more and more uh, uh, common. And, uh, you know, I'm not in, a, in the business of making anyone um, ashamed of taking their own flights. Fl- uh, flight shame is about, you know, kind of a, 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 an awareness yourself that when you do fly, mm-hmm. you are creating a lot of emissions. And I definitely think that that is, you know, increasing and people are aware of it. And, you know, getting people specifically, let's say, in the ski industry to change their mind, as you observed earlier, in the main countries are Austria, France and Switzerland, you know, also Italy, uh, that British people go skiing to. And it takes longer. There's no doubt about it. It takes longer to, to take the train or drive than it does to fly. It doesn't have to be a huge amount of difference and there is actually a direct train that goes from london uh, to the alps and if you took that direct train you would beat someone door to door if if you lived in london or near london uh to to the ski resort but that only wow. that only runs uh you know on saturdays you know once a week uh, uh, during the uh, winter and typically it you know might uh, cost a bit more as well uh, you, you know, for me, I'm quite organised. I know I want to travel by train. I've already booked three Eurostars uh, for this winter uh, already because, you know, I know the dates that I want to go. Um, and I also, because I'm travelling to the Alps, I know that I need to leave London St Pancras early uh, in the morning to give myself enough time for the second leg of the journey. And when I'm coming back, I know I need to come back from uh, Paris quite late because I need to have the time to get back to Paris. So I've booked all of those already and you get them, you know, at the at the lower price. And then, uh, you know, as it goes, um, 
with SNCF, the French rail operator, they don't put their uh, seats, their trains on sale till much nearer the time. So I can't do those other ones yet, but I can sign up for the alerts to um, to get a, a lower price. And on top of that, I also have, um, you know, what's called a, 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 I mean, I called a cart avantage, but, you know, an advantage card with SNCF that gets me 30% off. And, you know, it's, it's worth signing up for that, even if you're just doing one. So price-wise, because I'm organised, I know when I want to go, it's not going to be more expensive than flying, you know, because even when you fly, you've got to get from the airport to the resort, et cetera. And typically when you take the train, you're going much nearer and that final leg is uh, is easier. So, in answer to your question, do most people think about it? No, I don't think most people do, but I think an increasing number of people do. Uh, and, you know, across all age groups uh, as well, not just, um, you know, the uh, the Gen Z, millennials, younger uh, generation, but also older people. And uh, as it goes, you know, fairly commonly, the type of people who are going skiing tend to be uh, in the uh, older demographic and you know although there's lots of financial pressures on people from all sorts of areas at the moment they can also afford to um, to spend a little bit more and you know are making uh, changes so you know, it's it's happening just not as quickly as perhaps we would like yeah no I think I think that's the thing isn't it it's we almost need to everybody needs to get on the same page as quickly as possible. And it, you sort of touched on it before that younger generation, you know, Gen Z and uh, millennials, they seem to be much more on top of sort of actually making a change in their behavior to sort of try and reduce their impact overall. But then perhaps the baby boomers of this world, they're not quite as open to it. I guess they're, um, they're a bit more set in their ways. I know that my parents are, they're, they're very much set in their ways. Even my grandparents, they're even worse. So yeah, I think it, it, we all just need to try and get on the same page. And there's there's a couple of things that I've said throughout the podcast already. And it's, you know, we don't need a few people doing it perfectly. We need everybody doing sustainability imperfectly, and that'll have a much bigger impact. So do you think from your side that there is more that the ski industry could be doing themselves? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, there's there's so much more. Could do. I mean, if you take resorts themselves, resorts are very aware these days that sustainability is um, an important factor in people making decisions in where they want to go. Now, ultimately, if they can choose between a resort that offers um, all of the lifts are run, for example, via renewables, then they're going to be more inclined to go there if the resort that has a ban on uh, on plastic. These things do make a, a single-use plastic, I should say. Uh, these things do have an influence uh, on the decisions that people make. But equally, if you look at the carbon costs of a ski holiday and you look at it from the UK point of view, you're going to say that 50 to 70% of the carbon footprint comes from how you travel to resorts. And could businesses you know make more of a difference yeah they're good they're gonna make it a lot easier for customers to travel by those alternative methods because typically um a larger tour operator by either has a charter a plane itself like the you know the two e's of this uh, uh world uh and that's how their model works so you know they sell a package it gives you a seat on that charter uh flight and your accommodation and then some of the medium-sized players buy seats on those charter aircraft or take charter aircraft with other companies 
So they're almost disincentivized to offer their clients an alternative way because they want to sell once they bought a plane that's going to travel out every uh, Saturday from London Gatwick to Geneva, they want to make sure they sell all of those seats. What they, um, I would like to see more of is them offering attractive uh, deals to people who want to uh, self-drive, but particularly people who want to travel by uh, train and actually, you know, giving them a discount on the overall holiday cost in recognition of the fact that people want to reduce their carbon footprint because a tour operator genuinely wants to reduce its carbon footprint. I'd love to see more tour operators having a net zero strategy. You know, the, the country is committed to a net zero. Mm. You, you see it in uh, from a corporate point of view with, uh, you know, any significant uh, company has a uh, net zero strategy. Very few tour operators have a net zero strategy. And if they started to introduce a net zero strategy, then as a matter of course, they would within that um, start promoting lower um, intensive, lower carbon intensive forms of travel within that. Yeah, definitely. I think the the whole net zero discussion is is it's a discussion for another day. It's such a big topic, and obviously measuring scopes one, two, three. I think some consumers, I am definitely aware of net zero and all the different scopes. And sometimes when I'm doing things, I'm thinking, oh, what's my scope one, two, and three for this thing that I'm doing? You know, maybe I'm buying something new, or maybe I'm traveling to take my dog to a puppy class, or something like that. You know, it's those little things where you think, how much is this actually impacting the planet? Because actually, you know, there's there's a lot more that goes into it. The treats that I use in his training session have got a huge impact. You know, it's all of those things that consumers might not think about. So I guess sort of moving on a little bit, there's loads and loads happening within the sustainability landscape and you can get really lost within it. But is there anything specifically right now that, sort of makes you excited or is, is something that you're really excited about yeah well i'm you know i tend to be very enthusiastic about these things anyway i mean there are more people who are interested in traveling by train and you know if you look outside uh, the british market you know, there is evidently uh, you know a lot of demand i recently spoke to um a, a representative of the salzburg area in uh, austria and they have a charter train that travels down from Sweden to Denmark uh, through uh, Belgium to Austria. And that is full uh, every week uh, with people. And that's a bloody long journey. It's a lot longer than, you know, traveling from the UK. And, uh, you know, that's three years uh, old now. And, uh, you know, I mentioned the uh, charter train, uh, the Eurostar that goes direct from St Pancras uh, to the Alps. That isn't actually a Eurostar service per se. It's run by Eurostar on a Eurostar train. But it's a private uh, travel company who decided that the, uh, you know, there was demand there and they would put it together. Um, and it's going into its second uh, winter uh, this year after a uh, you know, it's a successful enough season uh, last year. Also, you know, there is a discussion. Eurostar have the monopoly on train travel from the UK uh, uh, through the Channel Tunnel. That is a real limiter. You know, we could do a competition there. You know, possibly uh, the Spanish company, um, RENFE, Renfer, uh, might be able to uh, run something there which would help. But in sustainability in general, like I mentioned about the resorts, you know, um, running lifts on renewables to me is almost standard now. Having, you know, the buses that run around resort, 
being electric uh, vehicles. It's almost a surprise to me if you find that a resort doesn't have you know, electric uh, powered uh, vehicles now. The snow groomers, which go out at night and flatten the piece again to make them nice and easy uh, to for people to ski the following morning. Electric, there are a couple of electric models out there, but a lot of them have uh, switched to hybrid. Um, so they are uh, less polluting and you see things like skidoos, which are electric uh, uh, now uh, as well. I think another area which is really interesting um, is in terms of uh, clothing. Uh, clothing uh, and you know, textiles is a really significant part of you know, global uh, emissions. And the growth in pre-loved uh, clothing has been really significant. That's starting to transfer over to the ski industry as well. So there's at least a couple of uh, companies out there who I'm familiar with. One's called whoski.com uh, and the other one's called ecoski.com. And they are, and in terms of ecoski, that's a retail store that um, has picked the most sustainable brands and is selling them new, but they also have a rental section. And that went really well last year. So you know, why buy yourself a new ski jacket when you can rent a ski jacket, uh, you know, only going for one week a year? So take it for a year. And Hooski is a kind of eBay uh, type of a setup specifically for, you know, ski uh, clothing, ski equipment. Uh, so helping uh, to, to make sure that items go back into the circular economy instead of being, you know, disused and people buying new things. And that's all uh, helping to, uh, to make a difference as well. And you see the major manufacturers, you know, obviously they want to sell uh, new stuff, but they are making, you know, a lot of uh, steps to try and, you know, minimise wastage and to encourage uh, reuse and getting people to um, hand in, for example, old ski boots, which can then be recycled as best as they uh, can so all of those sort of things you know are are definitely you know really encouraging as well i think you touched on something really interesting uh, in terms of like the textiles and clothing like you say it's a huge part of global emissions and i think for a for someone who's going skiing if they use a garment once a year and then that garment might have gone out of fashion for the next season they might want to or they might be tempted to replace it but like say if, if you went down the rentals route or even if you just went down the second hand route, just changing it up for each season or maybe trying to use it for, for different purposes. Uh, one of my other episodes was with Freddie Hoare from Ski. Obviously, they're trying to sort of merge streetwear and ski wear, which I think is really nice. But then the whole rental market is a huge one. So I think it's a really tough one. And th this is a question that I, I love asking everybody. But if there was one piece of advice you could give someone who wanted to be more sustainable in day-to-day -day life or in skiing, whatever it was, what would that one piece of advice be? Well, if it was skiing, it really is to try and get to a resort without flying, because as I mentioned before, it's such a significant part of the, uh, of the holiday. And, you know, uh, ultimately, you know, in everyday life, people can make their own uh, decisions. But I think the stats... They say that the uh, you know the single biggest uh, areas, if you really want to make a difference, are to make sure that your um, your energy, your electricity, is provided from a uh, hundred percent renewable supplier, and you know to eat less meat in your diet. Um, you know, I've, I'm I'm not a vegetarian, I'm not a, not a vegan, but I definitely eat way less meat than I uh, than I used to, and that's a kind of conscious uh, decision. Um, because, you know, I believe, it, it, you know, statistically it makes a difference. And, you know, I've cut out a lot of dairy as well because I'm mindful of the fact that dairy, you know, is a, is pretty a significant a contributor to emissions. 
yeah, I think it's it's interesting, obviously, cutting out the, the meat and reducing dairy and obviously changing your electricity supplier. One of the other things that I've sort of been told about is actually changing your pension to one which invests in green initiatives as opposed to just a general pension. So that can be one that's that's a good one for people. But obviously, the other thing about dairy is it's not really designed for people anyway. It's designed to fatten up a cow from a calf into a cow. So um, not the best thing for us as humans anyway. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. So I want to say a huge thank you for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure, Ian. Cool. I've really enjoyed it, uh, Paul. Thanks for contacting me and inviting me uh, on on board. You know, it's um, you know, I always enjoy talking about skiing. I always enjoy trying to promote that uh, sustainability uh, message. And, uh, you know, I'll be doing a bit more of that at different events. There's actually an event at the um, the NEC uh, called the National Snow Show on October the 15th and the 16th. And I think on the 16th, I'm going to be talking about driving an electric car to the uh, Alps, which I'm about to test next week. So hopefully I'll be coming back with a good message about it. <laughs> That's amazing. That sounds fantastic. Is there any way that we can sort of like follow that journey or? Uh, yeah, you can follow me, um, you know, at Skipedia. Uh, on social media, uh, S-K-I-P-D-I-A at Skipedia. And, you know, I'll be reporting on it for the Ski Podcast as well. You can just Google the Ski Podcast. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, All right, no problem, Paul. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Somewhat Sustainable Podcast. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode, and I can't wait for you to hear it.